0: From last week, we had uh, a pie auction, right? Remember? And um, so uh, you you baked wonderful pies, and um, we raised for VBS over $3,100 for eating pies. (laughs) Wow. And the heart behind that, of course, is not just a great pie, but we we make VBS free for kids in our community. And I, I, I don't know the numbers between... Seventy and eighty or ninety—I don't know—a lot of kids last year came to VBS, and, and we want to make it free again for them. We always have, and um, that's our intention. So, way to go! I just want to thank you for that, especially those of you that you know—you went through the routine of rolling out the dough and putting the butter in there and then putting it in the refrigerator and then putting it back on the counter. You know, so that you know what I'm talking about? If you bake, if you—okay, some of you are going, just don't even try that, Terry. You do not know what you're talking about. But on the fork end of the deal, I know what I'm talking about. So. Thank you for that. Um, okay, Proverbs, today, Proverb verse 25, or chapter 25, verse 15, a gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. <laughs> you know I pick these out for me, don't you? That's right. So um, anyway, today we're in a series uh, making our hearts available to love the Lord, making our hearts available to the Lord to be changed by the Lord the things that he wants to do in us. We've been at that for several weeks, and we really have only been, in the first several weeks, been preparing for change, and I think we're kind of done preparing for change, so we're going to kind of launch forward, and we talked about taking things um, out to the street, kicking things to the curb, remember, the, the way the world would tell you to change, all of the different philosophies and different philosophers that have kind of come in and out of favor over the years, we've kicked that to the curb. We took time to talk about the Lord to to make change. He wants everybody to get on board with the gospel. The most important thing to the Lord is, of course, that we have a relationship with him, that his son paid a a, a terrible price because of God's love for us. So that's the second thing. And last time we talked about getting specific, getting specific about the things that the Lord would want to change. Today I want to talk about the first step in change. And this this is a message that, you know, I think any any pastor who... um, who preaches regularly, has to, to keep this in mind. You have to, to share this message. That's okay. Little ones are little ones, and don't feel bad, Mom. That's, you love on that little one, and we love on that little one. And bless, bless that little one. Right, church? Say amen. 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 Bless that little one. It's embarrassing for a mom, right? We don't ever want moms or dads to feel embarrassed when their little one picks that moment. So we love on them. We don't stare at them going out the door like, you know, because, give me that baby. I want to hold that baby. Anyway... Um, I don't know if that'll make us stop crying or make things worse, but anyway. Um, and I, this is this where we're going to go today is a topic that any preacher has to visit. I think you know if they're going to do if they're going to preach the word of God, they got to be on this topic. And this topic today is central, I think, to every Christian. And um, although the, the topic is not sin, um, it's it's related because I think everybody here knows that you know sin is a is a personal problem that everybody faces. Everybody does at some point, and you know, for all have fallen and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is this this darkness. It's this you know blindness, stubbornness. And there's a saying that says, you know, choose to sin, choose to suffer. In other words, if you if you know it's if if you if you're inflicting harm upon yourself when you sin is what the point of that is. And I'm the one that who suffers when when I sin, but I still do it. I don't know. I just do. Why is that? It's because there's something darkened in our nature. It's, it's, it's even if you're in Christ, even if you've been bloodbought bought and um, dead to sin, there still is something that nips at our heels, and, uh, and, and it just happens. So this week, there's been, I, I think, I can sense sometimes a bit of a um, spiritual headwind when I'm headed into a topic and I feel like, you know, we're, we're kind of bite into the enemy's territory. And I think that's where we're going today. I've been sensing it all week. Um, you know, and I, I have to say sometimes, you know, on weeks like this, when I'm in my study and I'm preparing, I'm thinking, you know, I'd really rather teach something that's fluffy with cotton balls. If we could do that, Lord, that would be suit me just fine. <laughs> and, um, you know, but I, that's not how it happens always. I mean, sometimes I I, I I could tell you this, I'm going to share these things with you today because I care about you and I love you. But there are going to be some challenging moments. So buckle your seatbelts and stay with me. Put all your fruit and your vegetables back in your purse. Don't throw it at me. Throw it at Eric or somebody else. <laughs> um, and um, today I want to talk to you about something that I think sets people free. And it's not an easy, it's its not an easy topic for us to talk about, but it's the only way forward with God. And here's the deal. All positive change, the first step forward is repentance. Repentance. This is a message today about repentance, and every honest heart knows that, you know, what it is to struggle with sin. You know, they, they, everybody knows what it is to fall and get up and try and change, and you get better and you f- stumble again, and... And, um, you know, to feel discouraged. Even the Apostle Paul did, and he mentioned this in Romans 7. He said, For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Paul was this honest and direct guy, and he said, You know, I, I, I'm struggling this way. And, and the, the pain that he experienced eventually emerges out, and this is a heart cry on his part. How do I change? I want to change. I don't want to keep doing the things I do. I don't want to keep feeling the way I feel. I don't want to keep falling the way I fall. I don't want to keep fearing this way. I don't want to keep carrying this anxiety with me, this discouragement. I don't want to always be pursuing stuff, you know, as if somehow stuff could fill the place that only God can fill anyway. If you've ever felt like that, or wrestled with those things, or you felt disappointed, I want to say this to you, and I need you to hear this. You can change. You can, actually, you can change. You're not going to always be the person that you are. You're not always have to struggle with the things you struggle with. You can be a different person. But the first step in all of this is repentance. It's repentance. The accusations can be silenced. The lies can stop. The chains can fall off. The bondage can you know be broken. And the key word, the straightforward, the biblical word, the truthful word about this is Repentance. Repentance. It's the first step in all change. It's the first step in all real change. You know, lasting change, life change, God-honoring change. It always begins with repentance. If you're wondering why, the gospel doesn't really stir your heart. It doesn't invigorate you. It doesn't, you know, if you're wondering why, other people seem to grow forward in their walk with the Lord. Other people you know, um, they're growing and their hunger for the word and their delight in God. And, and, and you, you look around and you see that, but not me. And you wonder, why is that? Probably the answer lies with repentance. Repentance is the first step in all change. God loves you and he wants something better for you. And his first move towards you is always on this topic of repentance. Maybe you think, well, hey, okay, I, I've already done that. Okay? I mean, um, but you haven't. Because if you had repented, you would have changed. Pretty strong. I'm going to talk about that and we'll see. In fact, repentance, this topic, repentance is the first step in change, is the message of every prophet in the Old Testament. I mean, every single one of them. If you read through them, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. they're all there it's Amos you you can read that I'm not going to read a lot of them but I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures and we're going to blow through a few of these Um, Ezekiel 18:30. repent and turn from your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin same thing every one of these guys repent same message over and over again they understood something that we've kind of lost sight of today and that's that repentance is the thing that turns the corner in God's agenda for your life and mine if you wonder why you can't get forward, this is probably it, repentance. You have to genuinely repent. You know, we have dreams for our future, and, and, and God tells us, though, that there's a, there's a danger. He says this in Genesis 4, verse 7. Sin is crouching at your door. The picture there is something skulking around, waiting to pounce. Crouching at your door, and its desire is for you. Its desire is to rule over you. Other translations say, say it's ready to pounce. Sin is out to get you. Those are the words from other translations. Waiting to attack you like a lion and destroy you. It says, but scripture says, but you must muster it. Sin wants to tear your future apart. It does. It it wants to, you know, tear apart your marriage, tear apart your family. your, your Everything that you value, sin wants to eat those things alive. Now, I get it. When I say to you, we're going to talk today about repentance, I know exactly what you immediately thought of. You thought of a picture of a person with a hood on, and what's that thing that you, that scythe thing, yelling, repent or die, you know? Um, yeah, so I mean, a picture of a, some loveless guy shouting, repent. We have a picture of that, I think, even. <laughs> repent, lady! I don't know who this lady is. <laughs> but it doesn't look good. And our natural response to this Even the truth shared without love is this defiant refusal to hear whatever's coming next. That's supposed to be cute, right? Okay, That's where we go. We may not show it on the outside, but on the inside we're going, I'm not going to hear you. And, and, And what happens is lost in all of the static from this failed transmission of a message is the fact that the deep love and commitment the Lord has for us and how much he hates to see what sin and an unrepentant heart will carve into our life. Repent is the thing that turns the corner in God's agenda for your life. This uh, word repent found lots of places in scripture. Metanoio um, in, in the New Testament literally means a change of mind. Um, it, all change begins with a change of mind that's, that's what all these Old Testament guys Now maybe you're thinking Well, yeah, that was all those Old Testament guys And they were kind of harsh and unloving And, and okay, well, let's flip to the New Testament Here are a few New Testament examples Let's start with John the Baptist Who was the last prophet of the Old Testament Right? Okay? And uh, in fact, if you, if, if you want Here's what Jesus said about him he, Jesus declared that John the Baptist was God's messenger and that he was greatest of every man born of a woman. Pretty, pretty, pretty prime endorsement from the creator of the heavens and the earth. Pretty, pretty big deal. So John the Baptist said this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 6, 12. Now these are other disciples. The disciples went out and preached that people should repent. Luke 15, 7. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. They have a party when there's a change of mind by one sinner. That's Literal. That's not okay so there's stuff going on when you and i decide okay i have i'm turning there is a party that goes on acts 3 19 repent then and turn to god so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the lord okay there's a rabbit trail we won't go down but something happens when we repent that's good acts 17 30 but god now commands all men everywhere to repent second timothy Talks about the fact that repentance, the opportunity to repent, is given by God. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth. Okay, now there's a rabbit trail I'm not going to go down, but that's something for you to feed on later. What um, What is that statement implying about um, people who don't repent? and not knowing the truth. There's something in there worth looking into. 2 Timothy 2.25, I didn't put that up for you. Second um, Peter 3, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Some of you say, okay, well, all right, the Old Testament guys, they were pretty cut and dried and maybe harsh at times. Okay, so now I've given you new ones, but okay, so the next argument would be, well, but not my Jesus. My loving Jesus is not that harsh. He would be more understanding Okay, let's see what Jesus has to say. Revelation 2, 5. Now, Jesus is now sending this message to the churches that he left behind. Revelation 2, 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. There's Jesus talking to the church. Repent. Here's another place. Revelation two sixteen. He's He's uh, speaking to people... In this instance, the context here is people who are saying, basically, that sexual sin is okay. It's not a problem. He's saying that to Christians. Okay, There are people who say to Christians, it's really not that big a deal. It's okay. Everybody's doing it. Here's Jesus' response to that. Repent or else I will come quickly and fight against them, people who talk that way, with the sword of my mouth. So yeah, Jesus does say to Repent. And he does love us. You're saying, but I thought he loved us. Yes, he does love us. Revelation 3.19 is a a scripture that's quoted a lot about that. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Those are the words of Jesus. I think most people in the North American church would say that Jesus would say, as many as I love, I pamper or coddle or... Comfort, but that's not the heart of Jesus Christ for us. The heart of Jesus Christ is not a pampering love, it's a perfecting love, and there's a difference. And Jesus, of course, said the same statement he actually quoted, and he was quoting John the Baptist when he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is heaven. And I I get, you know, I, I hope that you get that this is really an important topic, it's not just a church topic. I'm not doing my duties, and this is not a notch in my Bible today. This is a really, really important topic for every believer. And this word, uh, metineo, uh means a change in mind. It all starts with this, this, this change of mind, because we need to understand that in all sin, there is self-deception. We deceive ourselves. All sin. We get to the place where we have to perform some sort of mental gymnastics, Uh, rationalization, we, we, we redefine what sin is. And by the way, there are always a lot of people standing around that will help you rationalize that way too. There was a survey, it was interesting, of Christians to say, okay, name a rationalization that leads to sin. Okay, so here are the top five. This is not a scientific survey, but I'm going to give these to you in reverse order. Number five, so this is th- there's four more that are more often used. So number five was, I'll just do it one time. I can handle it. That's a number five rationalization. Is yeah, yeah, it's wrong. I'll just do it this one time. I've been busy. I've been tired. I've been a little restless. So I'm just going to. I can just take this drug one time. I can handle it. Number four, number four rationalization is nobody will know. My sister won't know. My spouse won't know, my savior won't know. Won't know. <laughs> really? Won't know. You know? There's a lot of verses in the scripture that talk about that. Numbers 32:23. It says, "You may be sure that your sin will find you out." Did your mother teach you that? Or Sunday school? Your sins will find you out. I don't know. I don't know where I learned that, but I learned it somewhere. And um you know well, I know it i don 't know that i 've learned it yet, but i 'm still working on that number three number three reason, um, rationally is that that something's not sin or wrong because everyone else is doing it. Heard that one a majority response is not a test for validity okay so don't don't don 't go there if you base your life on what everybody else is doing or what the majority says what 's most prevalent that 's a lot of hot water and All you have to do is look around at our culture, and you can see that sin is tearing a wide path through our culture. It's um, you know, and and it's on topics all throughout. It's it's on topics that God forbids. It really is. Second reason, it can't possibly be wrong because it feels so right. I hear that a lot. You know, I've never felt this good. I've never felt this happy. Where you, when you get to the place where that is your rationalization, you are at the doorstep of a place where sin is now taking over your life. It's a very, very serious place to be when that's your justification for the sin. So it's a terrible moment. And the number one most popular rationalization, I feel like David Letterman. The number one is God will forgive me. That is the number one rationalization Christians use for permitting themselves. You know, I can do wrong. I can live a lie, I can cut corners, and I can even do that and come to church and pretend and act like things are just fine and have it all. Maybe you can for a little while, but it doesn't last for long. When repentance happens, when genuine repentance happens, it leads to two things. The first thing that it leads to is confession. Confession. Now, the Greek word for confession that Jesus used in several places um, is homologio, homologio, there's two different ways I guess to pronounce that, and it's two simple words, homo means same, logio, logio, it means say, so literally the word confession means same say, it means you say the same about your sin that God says about the sin, that's what confession is. Same say. You can't say, you know, you can't say what God says about your sin until you actually see what God sees. Repentance is the process of seeing what God sees. And by the way, it's a process, it's not a statement. Repentance is not a statement, it's a process. When repentance is genuine, it leads to confession, and the second thing that it leads to is restitution. The surest proof of an unrepentant person is when there's a lack of restitution. They have not made it right. You know, restitution is where I make it right you know, with the people that my sin has injured. I make it right. And, you know, when it's genuine, and in fact, when it's genuine, I want to make it right. I realize the cost and the price that I've paid. And so that's restitution. Repentance is the first step. Okay, The second step, or the second fact about uh, uh, repentance is it's not easy. It's not easy. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 to 10. For even if I made you grieve with my letter. This is, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. It's the second letter. And he's now going to refer to the, what happened after he wrote the first one. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the, the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. So he's, here's a, he's a preacher saying, you know, I said something to you, and it was kind of a hard, hard thing to say, and I could see you didn't like hearing it, um, and it made me feel bad. I get this. You probably can understand this. I It made me feel bad, but then I, it only made me feel bad because you, you did repent. Okay, You did repent. I felt for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. He's saying, I felt bad for a while, but then I stopped feeling bad because I could see that what that letter did was, that truth actually helped you change. And you changed, and we're still friends. That's what we've read so far. Verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Okay, there's a lot of words there. And I want to parse this a little bit because the, this, this passage is talking about two different kinds of grief. Worldly grief and godly grief. Worldly grief produces regret. Godly grief doesn't produce regret. Worldly grief produces death. Godly grief produces life. That's the distinction that's being made here. Not all sorrow leads to repentance. Have you known somebody who was sorry? Sorry but not because they hurt you they're sorry because of consequences that they're carrying two characteristics of worldly sorrow is regret and death you know i am sorry i I'm, I'm sorry i feel so bad i feel so bad about this okay fix it <laughs> you know i'm sorry i'm sorry about you know how i'm sorry you feel that way those are the kinds of things those are statements of regret they're not statements of repentance And that's worldly sorrow. And uh, by the way, it's okay to feel bad that someone else feels bad. But that can be a deflection from responsibility. And that's different than what we're talking about here. Worldly sorrow produces regret and um, godly grief that leads to repentance. So Not not all grief is godly. It isn't. Some grief is worldly grief. How do I know if my grief is worldly grief? Well, because it's all about me. It's all about what this is costing me and what the weight that I have to carry because of the sin rather than what you carry. It's a focus on myself. It's about the impact on me. Now, some people live their, you know, they, they have worldly grief or worldly sorrow for their entire life. Never, never really, truly sorry for their sin. They never get to the place where David was in Psalm 51, and you can look that up later, but David was... He had failed terribly, and this was after his failure with Bathsheba, another man's wife that he committed adultery with her, and then he had her husband murdered. I mean, he did some terrible things. This is King David, who Scripture talks so fondly of and venerates in many ways. And uh, he he, he was a bad guy a lot of the times. This is terrible. That's terrible behavior for for any person, let alone the leader of a nation. And he gets to this place in Psalm 51, and you can read there. He's absolutely flat out brokenhearted, owning his failure and repenting. Some people never get there. They never get to the place where they they're sorry for their sin. They're just kind of maybe they go down a different path where their focus is upon you know themselves. What what's happened to them? The pity for themselves. I've been a victim, and and uh, what's happened to me? And here's the thing: a, a, a worldly sorrow that is that goes for a lifetime without repentance. Scripture says leads to death. At leads to death. And this isn't talking just about physical death this is talking about the wages of sin is death this is talking about that kind of a life leads to spiritual death it leads to hell nothing is more serious in scripture than that you know a lifetime of shallow worldly grief without repentance is you know is a road that leads to hell and that's not a fun sentence to say in church or to hear I know and I hope now that you're not you know my enemy because I've told you this truth. <laughs> no, I know. But I mean I mean but if you're someone who doesn't hunger for the word of God, who has has no interest in passionate worship, is is never shares their faith. Isn't isn't if you're someone who is not is if you are someone whos not growing or trying to grow in righteousness and, and, and you live a lifetime of worldly grief you know, I'm sorry that this cost me, I'm sorry that this is what it is, and you know that that's a pathway that leads to death. And if repentance was easy, everybody would do it. It's not easy. It means change your mind. It literally means changing your mind. It means coming to this place where if you had the opportunity to do it again, you would go back and do it differently. I think all of us have probably made some major mistakes in our lives. I mean, probably. I mean, I know I have. I, and, and, and if you've repented of those things, your, your heart is, is that if I could go back, if I could do things differently, I would absolutely go back and do it differently. I wish I'd never done that. I wish I'd never said that. I wish I'd never met him. I wish I would. And you could name the point where the road had a Y in it, and you went one way, and you wish you would have done the other one. If I could go back, you know, I've repented. It was something terrible. It wasn't my mom's fault. It was my fault. You know, I blew it. It was my, my deal. It wasn't my ex-wife's fault. I decided this. If I could go back, I'd do it differently. There's no pretending, no going through the motions. 100% genuine. I would choose to not do that again. And you have to really mean it. That's what repentance is. There was this guy... Um, um, who was in my office a number of years ago in another church, and he was not attending that church. He was attending a different church. Is that complicated enough? Yeah. I'm trying to make sure that you can't don't, don't try to figure out who this is. You, 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 you wouldn't be able to, because I don't think any of you would know this person. And he was sitting in my office because his life was a shambles, and he wanted to talk to a pastor, and somebody said, hey, go talk to this guy. So he was in my office. And um, basically, I said to him, so I understand... You've left your wife, and now you're living with a woman who is not your wife. And now this is a Christian man, a mature follower of Christ. And so I just looked him in the eye, and, you know, in that tense moment with a smile on my face. as best like, I think I was smiling. And I said, how do you justify that? You're a believer? You know, you know, so explain this to me. He starts a sentence, Well, Well, my wife, and he goes, he starts, I said, hold up right there, stop. I don't, want, I don't want to hear from you about what your wife is or isn't. This has nothing to do with her. This is a decision you've made. There's, there's nothing that she's done that justifies the pathway you're on. <laughs> he looked at me. He let me talk to him that way. He looked at me and he said, you know, I know. I'm wrong. This is just, it's just wrong. I said, okay. So it's wrong which means you're going to turn now and you're going to leave this woman and you're going to go back home to your wife. Silence. No. I'm going to leave my wife and I'm going to marry this other woman and then I'm going to ask God to forgive me. That's a terrible plan. You know, it's playing Russian roulette. It's 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 planning the death of your own soul. So somehow, contemplate, to plan, to calculate sin, all the while thinking, you know, it's just easier to get forgiveness than permission. And that's your strategy for planning your relationship with God? That's a terrible plan. Somehow, on the other side of it, you'll feign some sort of repentance and ask God. And you think God will say, yeah, okay, I mean, I mean that's, um, you, you just cannot fake repentance. You can't phone this in. You have to come to the place where you genuinely mean, if I could go back, I really wouldn't make that decision and repent. And, and that's why, I think this is the reason why some people in their lives, by the way, don't ever judge people around you and say, oh, this is your fault. But sometimes people in their lives have to go to a place of ruin. They have to absolutely crash and hit the bottom before their hearts are willing to, to let go of their right to choose their own way and do their own thing and come to a place that they genuinely say, you know, I'm, that was a terrible plan right from the very beginning. Repentance is the first step in all change. Number two, it's not easy. And then here's the last point, and this is, this is the hard one to tell you today. Sometimes repentance is actually impossible. Sometimes scripture says repentance is actually impossible. And this is really, really, really serious, I think. I mean, maybe you wonder, you know, is that true? Really, Pastor Terry? You can actually reach a point of no return. Can we resist and rebel and do our own thing against the light of truth and get to the point where it's too late? The answer is yes. We're going to look at that in Hebrews 6 in just a minute. Psalm 103.9, understand this about God. It says, he will not always strive with us nor will he keep his anger forever. There comes a time when, when God will, will stop striving. He, cease, he will cease striving with a person. Where God will just look at that and say, hey, you think that's so great? You think that's such a wonderful pathway for you to be on? You think that you, you know better, and you're gonna, your plan will be better than, than what I have for you? Okay. Have at it. There is a place where God will cease striving with people. That's why the scripture in Hebrews is so important. It says, Today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't assume that you can just get this together anytime you please. You know, oh, you know, Terry, you don't know what you're talking about. I'll do these things I want, and and, and I can just do this as long as I want to, and when I am good and ready, I'll get squared away with God. Incorrect. It's not correct. Jesus, Jesus told us himself in John 6, no one comes to me unless the Spirit draws him. You're not coming back when you get yourself good and ready. You're coming back when God gets you to the ground and gets you to say about your own will, not my way, Lord, but yours. I'm sorry, I'll repent. God himself, if, he, if God himself says, that's it, then scripture says, that's it. Pretty serious stuff. Well, Pastor Terry, you better have some scriptures to back that up. Okay, here are a couple. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. It's it's describing a person. Verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, Paul tells us it's impossible. it's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him to contempt. Hebrews chapter 12 is um, one illustration of this that we can find in the word of God of, of when, when it's too late for somebody. And the context here is a story of someone who's in trials and God's, you know, God's trying to teach and train us. Starting in verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Verse 16. See to it that no one is sexually immoral. By the way, I believe that in this case and in many cases, the scripture is not just talking about physical sexual acts. um, All throughout Scripture, you'll see the terms adulterer or adulteress, and it's very commonly used uh, to describe unfaithfulness to God in all forms. And there's a complete study there I won't go into today about why marriage is so important to God. It talks about the relationship of faithfulness between God and his bride. And um, that's why marriage is such a big deal. It's not a social institution, although our culture has turned it into a social institution, and that's different. But to God, it's a big deal. And I can make a strong case for the fact that I think that even in this case, it's not for just referring to the physical act. I'm not going to do that here. See to it that no one is unfaithful or unholy like Esau. Now, I'm going to stop and pause there again if you remember the story about Esau. Um, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. They were twins, and they were born right together, just seconds apart. And um, um, Jacob was born second. And he was his mom's favorite. Esau was born first. He was dad's favorite. And these two guys were about as different as two guys could be. You know, Esau was this, you know, this rugged outdoorsman, hairy guy. I don't know if that means if you're an outdoorsman, you have to be hairy or not. But um, he was the kind of guy that if he took his shirt off at this beach, people would say, hey, how come you're wearing a sweater? <laughs> oh, that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> Okay, forgive me for the sweater jokes. Okay. Um, Anyway, so he was just this, you know, rough and tumble outdoorsman. And um, Jacob was just completely different. He maybe would be more on the GQ end of the spectrum. He liked fine cuisine. He was, you know, dressed for success more kind of a guy. And he was mom's favorite. And I I don't prefer one of those two temperaments over the other. I'm just describing those to you. But one difference is that Esau was a, scripture says, described him as a profane person. And Jacob, in spite of his weaknesses, he, he loved God. And um, Esau, one day, he comes back from hunting, and he's been out for a while, and he is really hungry. I mean, he's hungry. He's eat the handle off the refrigerator hungry, okay? He's really hungry. Meanwhile, Jacob's cooking some stew, and you know what happens. He could smell it. and well, that smells really good. And so he says to his younger brother, Hey, give me some stew. I'm kind of hungry, and um, Jacob, thinking this through, he says to him, Hey, sell me your birthright. No free stew here. You've got to sell me your birthright. Now, you can read about this in Genesis 25, but the scriptures talk about two things, the blessing and the birthright. And um, the blessing and the birthright together were were something that that a father would confer upon his firstborn. It was a big deal. It wasn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it was, it, was, it, was, it was spiritual. It wasn't just financial wealth. It was spiritual, and, a, and it was a pretty big deal. It isn't like today where, you know, typically if we have children, we, we, we treat them all the same. Back then it was different. And Jacob always resented the fact that he was second born, and he didn't get to have those two things. And he probably um, coveted that blessing and that favor. And to Esau, it wasn't that big a deal. didn't really mean anything to him. And so he says, okay, sure. You can have my birthright. Give me, the, give me the stew. And he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Some uh, translations, you know, they say about Esau that uh, concerning his birthright, um, they describe it differently. One says, despised it, scorned it, showed contempt for his birthright. Now, and now, now Okay, so now you understand what's going on in our text. Um, okay, so he was, it says he was a profane, unholy person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Okay. My tummy's full now. I just sold my birthright. What have I done? And now he's realizing, oops, not a good decision. Verse 17, For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, it's always afterward. It's always afterward. You know, after you have that thing that you wanted, after you have that shiny bobble, after you, you know, have that thing that you had to consume, um, after that pleasure, you that deal, or you committed you know, that sin, it's always afterwards. Afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, and now here come some scary words from the New Testament, he was rejected. This word literally means disqualified or put off. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it. Now, on the side note here, if you happen to be an NIV, if you have an, if you're looking at this in the NIV, it has the word blessing. You can just cross that off. Okay, I don't comment a lot. I I, I use the NIV up here sometimes um, because it's simply But this is just an example of one place where the NIV gets it wrong. Every other. Um, translation of the New Testament gets this right this is this, this, the it that he's talking about isn't the blessing it's the opportunity to repent Esau has lost the opportunity to repent here every other translation Now, I should also tell you about the NIV the original put the, put the word blessing in there and they modified it in their 2011 version and subsequently and they're getting closer to every other translation but they're not quite there yet so I wanted to point that out in case you're confused by that Esau was brokenhearted, not because he lost the blessing, but because he had lost the opportunity to repent. Scripture says, For he had found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. He sought repentance with tears. He cried, he wept, he pleaded, but he couldn't repent. It was too late for him. Now, I'm going to pull up and stop here on this topic um, and we're going to end for today um, because I've, I feel like um, I didn't want to go long on this topic, and, and, and we're like half done. Next week, um, I'm going to talk about how you repent, the right ways to do it, the mistaken ways to do it, and how you will be able to tell whether you've repented. Um, and we'll talk about how do I repent and, and um, what are the fruits of repentance. And here's how I'm going to leave this today. So I've got this little document and the ushers have this, and they're going to hand that. Hand, I'm going to ask them to give one to every person when you leave today. Now, you may think, well, I don't want that from you, Terry. Um, uh, because here's what this is this is just a list of sins. It's not complete. You might think up some other ones. And this is not, I'm not asking you to sign up like you sign up for the pie auction. Okay, this is different. It's just a list of sins. And. Um, My thinking here is, first off, not to condemn a single person. Scripture tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But on the possibility that the Holy Spirit is speaking something to you or wants to speak to you, this is just a helpful aid. And I don't want any person to feel embarrassed. So here's how I would ask. You know, some of you might go, okay, give that to me because I'm going to pray about this and, and I'll keep that in front of me. And others are going, I don't want your stupid piece of paper, Terry. So that I don't want anybody to feel ostracized, I'm going ask them to give them to everybody. But here's what I want you to do with it. Here's my challenge to you. Take this, and over the next week, just when you bump into it, look at it and go, Lord, is there anything specific here you want to talk to me about? Now, I apologize in advance for the fact that it's. You have to have a microscope to read it. Okay, It's because of the terrible graphics department at Crossroads Church. You're looking at the terrible graphics department right here at Crossroads Church. It's because I'm terrible at figuring this out. But anyway, um, so I apologize for the small font here. Um, but here's what I'd ask you to do with it. Take the thing when they give it to you. And if you don't want it, still do this. Fold it up. Look at how I'm doing this with one hand. fold it up, and put it in your pocket. And if you just can't stand having it in your pocket, then stuff it in your empty Starbucks mug when you get in your car and throw it away later. But if you are willing to take this challenge on, just keep it in your pocket. When you change into your shorts after church today, put it in there. And all week long, keep it with your keys or in your pocket. And every time you run into it, pull it go, oh, Holy Spirit, are you saying anything to me about any of this? Just in case... The Holy Spirit wants to shape something new and fresh in your life. That's my intention. This is not to slam anybody. I have anybody in specific in mind or any specific sin. It's not about that. The Lord loves the people that He corrects, right? And God loves you, and so do I. If changing was easy, everybody would be doing it. And here's the thing most Christians are just like non believing people around them, in that, you know, we just don't change easily. But this, repentance, is the step forward. It's the step forward. Next week we're going to talk about how to repent, how to know that I've repented, um, know that I actually have repented. And uh, I pray that, that where the Holy Spirit takes us will be a high water mark for us. Because I believe that although we're you know in beginning of the middle of summer and getting into summer, and, and I don't know what happens in people's minds with, with their walk with the Lord. A lot of times people take the summer off from God. Obviously, you're not. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. But I believe that this is a point, uh, this can be a high watermark for the church and for you as we get to a place where we have something firm to build on with the Lord, Some, a firm place to do that. And as we move forward, here's the thing. If we do this right, the, the, the sky's the limit. If we don't get this right, we're not going anywhere. I'm trapped where I am, and you're trapped where you are. That's why repentance is so important. It comes down to this. God loves us. Sin hurts us, and God wants to fix that. Fair enough? Okay? So let's pray. So be sure, just grab one of these on on your way out the door, and don't be insulted by it. Just cooperate, okay? Okay, thank you. Lord, um, Father, I, I, I want to trust you in everything. And I want to thank you, Lord, that in the middle of my weaknesses, you show yourself so strong. And Lord, we know that our sin is what keeps us in spite of the fact that we're forgiven, it keeps keeps us from growing deep in our relationship with you. And Lord, you're our Savior. You're our Lord. You are El Elyon. You are the Most High God. You deserve our adoration. You deserve our praise. Father, forgive us. Lead us, Lord. Order our steps. And help us, Lord, to just cast aside all of those rationalizations so that we can find our way, Lord, to absolutely true repentance with you pray these things in Jesus' name.